Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. podcast I listened to called um oh man what's it called uh it's with Mike Hurley and um another guy what's his name uh I'll find it now Cortex um uh Gray I don't know what his first name is but they just basically they don't have an intro they don't have an outro they just start talking um or they or they bring in and they start talking and then it just ends at the end of a sentence. And I think they talk for three hours and they cut it down to an hour. That Which, sounds uh, <laughs> like very painful to me. Well, that's, I mean, that, yeah, but look, that's, that's, that's his business. Um, Mike Curley's business. I mean, it's because um, I think Rocket's part of the same brand. It's all Relay FM. Relay FM, yeah. Yeah. So that's his game. So, you know, if, if he's, he's got the time um, to do it. So, if not, why not? Which is quite ironic because the, the episode I wanted to talk to is also a Relay FM, uh, well, came to a Relay FM podcast, which was the Automators episode. Um, I'm just trying to think what it was called now. It was their 50 favorites or their favorite automations. Let me find the, the episode. You say you had a chance to listen to it? Yeah, I did. Um... And I'm very curious to know kind of what sparked your interest in it. And yeah, it was called Some Favorite Automations and it was their 50th episode. Um, very curious to know, do you do any sort of personal automation or kind of what interested you about the episode? So so what, so I, I sort of live vicariously through them um, and all automations that they do because it always sounds like they're automating these awesome things and it's so simple to do. And then if I sit in front of something like shortcuts to do it, um, it's, I find it just a little bit painful to do, or I've got to, you know, it's not something you do in five minutes. You need to spend an hour doing it. Um, and I don't always have an hour to, to play. Um, what sort of piqued my interest at the time was two thoughts. One thought was that you've got Rosemary and I forget the other guy's name. Rosemary is a developer and the other guy is, is not. Um, so that was the one point they made and David, that was it. And the point was that, that for Rosemary, she does very complicated workflows. So she'll use APIs and, and such to do things. Whereas David will kind of co- cobble things together in a non developable way. So he finds, and it comes across that he finds it a lot easier to cobble things together using the, the flow. And, and she, on the other hand, feels like she needs to do more scripting or something like that. And, and it might be, bastardizing it but what i was thinking about at the time which was that we we reached a point that in the enterprise was going to come to the enterprise fairly soon um that the end users are going to want to be able to automate things and and they do to an extent anyway i mean the amount of of macros that are built into excel um you know the amount of of homegrown applications that are built 
in the business by the business. So, you know, they, they hire a guy who can write a bit of code and he builds something and that all of a sudden that becomes an application that has to be supported. Those have been happening for years. But what's happening more and more is you're getting services like um, it used to be called uh, Flow uh, in the Microsoft world, and they've just changed its name to Power Apps, I think, um, which are just if then else rules. Uh, and there was there's, there's automation platforms like Zapier and uh, if this then that, which if you know a little bit and and you can and and the APIs exist and and these are just really c- connectors with rules. Um, you can do some funky stuff. So, for example, I have a, a, an automated tweet every day, which is whenever the, um, the International Space Station comes over my location, it sends out a tweet. Uh, anytime that NASA says something, it sends out a tweet. Um, every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, I get a, a, um, a weather notification, and, and I get an extra one if there's going to be rain that day, which in the UK is quite often. Um, so these are these are you know those are the sort of automations that I've done, but some of the stuff that they talk about, which I quite I would like to try, and it's definitely around the technology now improving, is having um, like NFC pads or stickers that you have at certain locations. Like for example, in the episode uh, she talks about getting in her car and scanning the NFC or, or tapping the pad, and it picks a random playlist and it gives her some locations based on the calendar for directions to drive, which are really cool ideas. And I hadn't even thought about that sort of simplicity. Um, so, so those were the things that, that, that the first, first thing that sort of got my mind. The second thing is you've got the ecosystem that is Apple with shortcuts and you've got really nothing in the, in the Microsoft space, but the Microsoft desktop is, is the most prevalent. So it's almost like there's an opportunity there for someone to come up with a, an extension to power apps and maybe Microsoft is going to come up with it that gives the end user on their desktop the ability to do um, some automations like cleaning their own desktops because we've always built it from IT outwards. But maybe it's for the end user to build their own or pick their own rules they want to run themselves. So sort of self-empower them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Android has anything like that either. Yeah, I've never actually heard about it. Android. Look, I don't listen to a lot of Android stuff. Um, I mean, the, the, I'll be honest. Listening to to Rosemary and David, and wants me to go get a, go get a Mac because all the stuff they do is on a Mac, um, and it almost makes me feel like the the Windows platform is inadequate. Um, I'm sure there is stuff out there, but it's but it's not as prevalent. And, I, and as I say, Android, I've never heard anybody mention a an equivalent. Um, it'd be interesting to see if there is actually anything. Yeah, I think what appealed to me about the Mac, you know, and this might be a Mac thing, it might not, but the kind of um, codeless approach where David Mm. has hacked things together is very appealing to me because, you know, I'm not a developer. I'm not someone who will be able to pour a ton of time into that side of things. You know, it would be a whole new skill set to learn on top of trying to do the automation. So, um the more what I associate, you know, Apple and Mac with a more user-friendly approach for, for non-techies. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, we were, uh, we were talking about this thing recently where was, uh, our in-laws or our, or our parents get told to get Apple devices because it means there's, there's a low IT support requirement. Whereas the minute they go down the route of an Android, there's, 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 you know, questions and can I get help? And, and it's the same with Windows. You know, Windows does some very strange things. 
um, which the Mac tends to either work or not work. If it doesn't work, then it's a problem and you need to go and sort it out with a, a techie. That's, but the, but the, the amount of times it breaks, it's usually a significant break as opposed to a minor break. I don't know if that's your experience as well or not. Yeah, um, I've had really good experience with Apple products and really bad experiences with everything else. Um, well, it's funny, I think, and I'm not a heavy home user anyway, so, you know, I could get away with a Chromebook, I'm sure. Um, and I just have a MacBook Air, but I think it's a 2011 and I haven't had a single issue with it. And I'm not necessarily even great with, you know, applying updates and things. I'll do it eventually, but you know, I know what good practice is and I don't necessarily actually do it on my home computer. Whereas my boyfriend has now gone through, you know, several Windows laptops that weren't, you know, the cheapest ones either. Um, and my work laptop, I won't name the brand, but I have, I've constantly have problems and I know it was more expensive and is more high powered than my air. Um, of course I'm using it for more things, but you know, the amount of, I've never had a, you know, a blue screen on my, on my Mac. Yeah. I, I mean, it blue, but yeah, well, well, that's the thing. So, so my, my wife's Mac, she's got a, um, oh, it's, 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 a, it's not an A, but it's, it's a small one. I mean, he, we've had that thing for about six years now and borrowing him to change the battery. And, and when we change the battery, it's changed the Wi-Fi chip as well. We haven't had any problems with it. Um, borrowing running out of battery. Um, you know, get to plug it in, but it just works. Um, and yes, it can be a little bit slow now because, as, as you know, it's also getting old. I think hers is a 2010 or a 20, no, it's probably a 2012. So it is a bit, bit slow, but it's enough for sending email and writing documents and all that sort of stuff. You know, and she wants to, we want to get her a new machine, and she's adamant she doesn't want a Windows device. And I don't blame her. Uh, Windows 10 is, is a far, far worse platform than, than Windows 7 was, and Windows 7 wasn't that great. So, yeah, I think my next one will be will be back because of that usability factor. Yeah, I mean, just anecdotally, I, I don't tend to have any issues with it, which is just, it's funny. But Well, and I think that's the where, where the automation thing comes into, because mm. because your your base is stable, you, you can tend to focus on the optimization step. Whereas, you know, I've had to rebuild my Windows device twice this year because of various issues with updates running out from Microsoft. And, you know, you're always, you're always looking at it the next morning going, Oof, this thing restarted by itself. I didn't ask it to restart. Is it going to work? And, I'm, and you know, to sit and reinstall all your stuff after it's, it's bombed out, it takes up so much time. You don't want to actually mess with it. Whereas your, your Mac tends to be so stable. You'll, you can, you can spend that time going, Oh, well, I'll just, I'll make these shortcuts that do my, you know, look after my task list or um, my timesheets or whatever else that I need to do that, that's really mundane and could be automated. Yeah. So what have you used, what apps have you used in the past for building those automations you were mentioning, like the, the Twitter ones? So that's that's uh, if this, then that. Um, so when they first came out, oh, that must be four years ago now, five years ago, um, the biggest challenge I had with them at, the, at that stage was there weren't that many integrations. So, or they're very Americanized. So it's things that we just didn't have here in the UK. So they've gotten better at that now. So for example, I have, um, an integrated with my Fitbit. So I, every, every night I get a, uh, snapshot of my activities. 
and that goes into my my journal so that I don't have to go do it anymore. Because I like to know if, when I look back, you know, last year this time, how many steps did I take? What was my, how many fitness things did I do? Um, how, how well did I sleep? All that kind of stuff. So I use it for that sort of thing. But on my desktop, I actually don't have anything anymore. Uh, and this comes back to the, the stability concerns that I have with, with Windows 10. But I'm thinking more and more, like I'm, there's a lot of tasks that I do repeatedly going, oh, I should automate this. And I'm now looking at my iPad going, you know, I keep hearing you can do these things. Maybe I should give it a go. Uh, things like um, printing a document to PDF so you can make notes on it. Or uh, a, lot of, a lot of these guys talk about running timers to measure their time, where they're spending their time. Is the, not necessarily time tracking for, for billing, but am I doing enough work time versus free time versus maybe fitness or whatever it is? Uh, so that's I'm looking at, at shortcuts at the moment to do some of that sort of stuff. Maybe, you know, we're just we're just rounding out our email challenge. Maybe we should start some sort of like automation challenge. Try to do try to build some sort of automation into our workflows in the next month or something like that. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a very good idea, actually, because because funny enough, that email challenge was one of those things that I wanted to automate. And and I looked at it. Um, because of the different mailboxes that I had and where they, where they sit, it ended up being probably more, you always got to balance these things out. When you, if you're going to write code or build something, is it more time to do it manually for the period of time than it is to write the code? Then you should just keep it manual. If it's something you do every day for the rest of your life, then you could auto, then you should build some code or automate it. But that would be interesting to do some sort of automation challenge. That's, that's a good idea. I don't know what well, uh, the one that piqued my interest from that episode was the podcast one that his, I don't know if it was friend or editor had built that will um, remove all of his ums from the recording. Yes, I did hear that. That might be I a little complex to start off with. Yeah, I would probably go with something much simpler, like, um, like a, you know, and if this, if this, then that automation. But on your um, on your Mac, you might be able to do something. I think they use um, Keyboard Maestro for that. Yeah, that's they focused on that a lot on the episode. I do use mm. um, Zapier, and to be honest, I mean, I know, I'm sure they say the word automation on their site. I'm sure you know, if pressed on it, it, it might, I might have made that connection. But since it's so easy to use, um, and has so many business applications for me and I imagine many others because, you know, you want these different apps or services or whatever to talk to each other. I didn't necessarily think of me creating a zap as an automation, which I think comes back to what you're saying about end users adopting this. Well, I, I guess we have to define what automation is. I mean, what would you define it as? Mm, that's a good, I mean, I guess that's, you know, that comes back to the point about it can be, a very simple thing or it can be a very complex thing. And I think, I think as end users or maybe just me um, personally, when I, when I use a tool like that or do something, and I think this came through in the episode as well, where David was kind of saying, well, I'm not as legit as you, Rosemary. I don't do the coding aspect. So there's, mm. you know, we tend to play down the things that we're doing because it doesn't feel like technical enough or, um, like we've done enough to call it like a, tr you know, 
to make a big deal out of it and call it like an automation, like we've done something amazing. But, um, you know, I think their point was that it is, you know, if it works and it's doing something for you and, you know, it's doing that thing instantly in the background without you touching it. Right. That's an automation. Well, that's it. I was going to say to me, the definition is, is anything that I, that I would have done myself that now something else is doing that's, that's automation, whether it's, you know, something simple or complex. And I think, and complexity is usually just multiple things happening, um, either in sequence or in parallel. So you, you're still getting back down to hopefully simple things. I know, I don't know if you wanted to get too deep into the IT user angle as well in terms of complexity, because that's a problem that, um, I think about from time to time in that, how do we bring automation into IT workflows in ways that make sense and isn't too powerful? Because I think there's some things that are pretty safe to automate, you know, re- emptying your end users, recycle bins on some mm. sort of schedule is generally a pretty safe automation. Although I mm. have heard of people storing, storing documents or storing, you know, photos for some reason in their recycle bins and then coming to IT and being angry when they're not there anymore. Um, So even that, you know, you might have end users (laughs) who aren't um, doing things as you might expect. Right. So how do you, Mm. have you done any automations um, for anything in the end user computing side? Yeah. So, so this is so from a, from a tech IT point of view, we've pushed down automations on the end users. So, so that this cleanup was one, um, and that was pretty ruthless in the sense that if it was in a space that it shouldn't be, it was gone. And then bear in mind, these things are triggered based on alarms and a lot, an alarm is an event with, with some sort of threshold or criteria. Um, the other ones we've done have been performance related. So counting the number of, of open windows, and then asking the user to close them. Uh, and these are specifically on VDIs where, uh, you know, because you're on a virtual desktop, your resources are shared and you need to have, or be conscious of these so there's other users. So we would, you know, warn them if they went over 14 windows that they need to close some. And, and from a, a good sort of using your device point of view, um, you should close applications you're not using anymore. Uh, the amount of people that, that keep them open and, and wonder why they have poor performance. It's, it's, uh, it's always ironic. Um, there's, so there's that, there's, there's, you know, resource management. So looking at applications using too much CPU or, or memory, uh, and then again, popping up some sort of warning that they need to either shut it down or restart it. Um, we've also done some work around automatic uh, reboots. Uh, again, this is for users that don't reboot their machines regularly. Uh, it's it's good to reboot them every two weeks or so. Um, so we were enforcing them weekly, in some cases, uh, bi-weekly in others. So those sort of basic things give a good experience generally. Um, and then you get into the um, sort of the RPA space, the robot process automation, which instead of building integrations between two products that you would in enterprise, let's say your ERP system and your HR system, you can use um, an RPA agent to fill in the form or fill out, fill out the fields from one system to another as if they were the user, um, which which is a way of moving the integration mess from one place to another. Um, instead of because, because now you've got to rely on the robot being able to get the data out of the other system, which they usually can, but then put the, the information to the new system. And it, and it depends on how they figure out where the fields are 
where you could have more problems or less problems. And your problems there usually are if the fields are changed for whatever reason, you know, a system upgrade and no one knows, then you're going to go redo all the robot um, mappings. Uh, and then personally, I think that that's, as I say, mess, mess from one place to another instead of actually solving the, the core problem. Um, but these are all very technical solutions. Um, the end user is not always driving these things, which is where I think this will start changing in the future, that the end user will start wanting to drive them. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with things like Zapier, that it's already, it's it's there, it's happening. It's, it's certainly um, marketing automation is a big thing. So in my space, it's, it's very prevalent because just the need, like you were saying, the need to move data around and not necessarily um, depend on IT for, for all of that. And I really enjoy things like um, Google has different products for, you know, you can put a snippet of code on your website and then you can, and I don't know if this, you know, counts as automation, but you can put a snippet of code on your website and then use Google Tag Manager or Google Optimize, these different products related to Google Analytics to uh, make changes on your site without getting in there and, and changing the code, which, oh. yeah. And then we have a, we have an external web dev agency and, you know, they bill by the hour. They're not cheap. Um, yeah. And we use uh, Drupal, which is one of the more infamously difficult CMS, you know, website platforms. So sometimes it's handy, you know, if I just want to make, if I want to try something, test something out, you know, if I change a CTA button here, if I add one here, you know, will people click on it more? You know, I don't necessarily want to go to the dev team to try a test like that. So Google has the suite of tools that, that helps me do that. Oh, I didn't even know those existed. Yeah, they're handy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what what's, it sort of naturally needs to happen is you need to be able to have the ability to not always go back to a technical person to do something on your on a platform. Not necessarily have full configurator rights that you can, you know, rework a workflow or whatever. But if you needed to put, I mean, Facebook used to do it. I don't know if they still do it. Where if they test new functionality, you would see um, they could release it into production almost straight away, and just a certain subset of users would see it for the first time. So every time you log in, you might get different functionality because they're testing out something, and then you log in again and it's gone. But they're doing that as a way to test if something works or doesn't work or it's liked or not liked. It's almost live testing mm-hmm. um, as opposed to going through a very rig- rigorous testing and release cycle, which takes too long to get it out to market. Yeah, just A-B testing the users instead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's straight from an engineer testing something. Yeah, I think there's some QA involved, but you know, it's on the premise. Let's rather get it out there and see if it, if it works or adds value than hide behind bureaucracy and all that sort of stuff. Because that's the other challenge with this sort of the more you enable the end user with things they can do themselves, how do you maintain stability of the environment? And that's usually the bureaucracy, bureaucracy comes in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something... It's yet another thing for IT to figure out how to adapt to, right? Because the need to automate these workflows, you know, make these small automations just to even get different things to talk to each other, to speed up our workflows is is definitely there. 
Yeah, it is, and and we, you know, when when I was with one of the banks, and and we we saw the the sort of server side was easier to automate because you weren't dealing with the human element. So if I had to reboot a server, um, I can usually do that because there's a, there should be a redundancy, or I can schedule the reboot, um, or bring the service down in, in a low impact, you know, sort of time of day or period. Whereas if you're going to mess around with a user's computer while they're busy working. You know that's that's going to get you a reaction that you don't want. You don't want to need it as a user. So you've got to be a lot more careful about how you automate things. Um, so communication becomes your number one um, priority, and and it, and that experience of or education of that experience is very important too. You know we're boosting this machine because it gives you more resources or better improve your experience that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think what you mentioned with using notifications to let the user know that something would be happening and why, um, you know, it can even use those to say, you know, not right now, you know, let them delay the action um, or something like that. But give them give them a heads up, because if you just if you just do something like reboot their computer without their knowledge, that could, of course, be extremely disruptive if they're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had I mean, we had scenarios like that. I mean, you you get guys. You know, we would have um, the reason why we automated the reboot cycle was um, it used to be on a Saturday. Uh, I want to say Saturday evening, um, which you would expect to have very few users working, but of course you would find someone who's busy working on a proposal or something like that, and you're rebooting the machine in the middle because there's no checks being done to see who was logged in. Uh, not initially. You know, all these mistakes we make. That we have to learn from um and that of course creates the perception problem that you don't care about them as the user um so the automation came in to say well actually you can reboot this machine well the machine will be reboot every friday or saturday or whatever it is but you can pause it you know a certain amount of times i think it was three times and then after the third time you can't you can't put it off it has to happen and then, and then the VDR will, especially non-persistent, it's not a case of you have to wait for a new machine to come up. You just really log out, log in again, and you're on a new machine. So your impact is, is you know, getting a cup of coffee while it logs in again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, pretty minimal. Definitely. Well, I think as we round out this episode, do you have any ideas about what automations you might be keen to try as, as sort of a challenge? Yeah, I think I think something to help us with the podcast would, would be good. And I was thinking about you know, so when we put the show notes together, we're obviously looking for the the links that we talk about, any books or anything like that. But then we obviously we we, we put the show notes on the on, on Transistor, which is our hosting platform, and on the website. And some way of making that process easier would be better because that's a very clunky process and easy to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Now, how to automate that, I have no idea. That, <laughs> that, that would be my first idea to, to sort of figure out. Yeah, um, there's so many moves there. There has to be some small thing that could be automated out. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm wondering if, this, if the, the key here is not to make it a code-based solution. It has to be, it has to be using something like Shortcuts or Zapier or something like that. Yeah, maybe it's even just a matter of looking in Zapier and seeing if Transistor is there and what you can do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's 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 touch base on this one in two weeks and see where we are. I don't know if you've got any any ideas to automate. 
Yeah, I was thinking more along the lines of just some like, you know, trying to trying to automate some sort of trying. Um, well, I, I opened shortcuts for the first time on my phone yesterday <laughs> after listening to that episode. So um, we just ordered a, a rowing machine for home because not getting as much activity right now, not being, mm. you know, not spending as much time outside. I'm usually someone who walks to work and I really value that commute. So not having that, I feel like is going to take a, a negative toll on me over time. So trying to get some more fitness in pretty bummed about not being able to swim this summer. Cause that's my favorite form of exercise. Um, but anyway, if I could automate something into my health workflow, that would be very handy for me because often it's the last thing I think about the last thing on my to-do list, then it gets left off. So even if it's just some sort of reminder that I'm setting up or, um, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to do some exploring as well. Yeah. So, so I have a, I use an app called Dew, D-U-E, which, which I originally started using because of the timers. Um, so just you can set up timers and it counts down, I think, down to zero, which I've actually stopped using. But they've got a reminder functionality, which which I like in the sense that you can put a reminder there and you can set a, a, it being a recurrence. Or, so it's, it's not so much task management, but it's things that I know I need to do that I'll put it there. And then it'll, it'll keep reminding me until I do them. So if I say I want to do, you know, I do a hit workout every day. So then I've got to tick off that I've done it. And if I don't do it, it just reminds me every 15 minutes until I do it. Um, and you can snooze it. I mean, you've got different things. But it's the same sort of thing. If I want to get into a habit of doing something, then I put it in due with a daily reminder. And then every day it gets me, it reminds me, it reminds me, it reminds me, okay, I've done it though. Um, and you just got to have the discipline to say that I'll, I'll do the thing. Or if I don't do the thing, then I'll, I'll, in my journal, I'll say I didn't do it today because I'm tired, I'm feeling sick, whatever. Or I just didn't have enough hours in the day. Um, that works out quite well for me because it's quite simple to add something. And if I find after a couple of days it's not working, I'd, then I say, actually, you know, this, this idea of me running 5Ks a day, it's just never going to happen. So I gave it, I gave it five days. It didn't work. Um, you know, I'll do something else. So might be worth doing that and trying that out. Yeah. How does that differ from just setting an alarm on just with the, you know, the native iOS app? Um, I haven't tried the native iOS, iOS app for a long time. Um, my experience back then was that it didn't repeat the reminder. So it would remind you and then it would just sort of stop. Whereas this will re-remind re you until you actually knock it off. Yeah, that sounds right. So, I mean, you could try it with all reminders. Um, I just, I, you know, Dew was recommended to me by someone and I was like, okay, I'll try it out. It was free at the time. I think I ended up buying it for two, two pounds or a pound. Um, and it was at the time when I was really struggling to get into habit on a few things and it just worked. Uh, well, it just worked. It, it worked in the sense that I started getting into the habits that I thought, well, it must be this this brutal reminding me all the time. And there are days where my watch will buzz and I look down and I got like 17 things that I'm reminding myself about. <laughs> uh, and that's only because I haven't cleared them out and, or, or I've you know put too much on my plate. And it's a good way for me to measure my overload and to actually go, well, do I really need to be reminded about this every day? No, this is probably, a, I only need to know about this next week. So I'll schedule it to remind me next week. Um, so it's yeah, it's just a, just an option. 
Yeah, I feel like there's something there's a need here for an Apple Watch app for that can do something like this because and of course I haven't been wearing mine in quarantine because I don't want <laughs> I don't I'm not putting that pressure on myself right now. Um but if I was, you know, you're already getting those reminders about those three goals, but the ability to to add different goals and have something like that um set up where it reminds you to start a specific workout would be useful, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, so, so there's a whole lot of those habit habit tracking apps. Um, I, I do find personally that those things get to get a bit frustrating uh, or will create an anxiety because now you've got to keep the momentum up. So with the, the reason why I like Jewel or, or something like that is that if I, if I just cancel a task, I don't see record that I canceled it. So I don't feel like I've missed a day um, or, or a week sometimes, and I feel the anxiety of breaking the what do you call it, the streak. Yeah. Um, for, and, and and there are reasons that there are things you put streaks in for, and things you don't. So you know, if I just do fitness every day, that's also not healthy. So having having that break, uh, you know, maybe on the weekends, I don't I'm not as intense on it. That's okay. And and the reminders are just there. And if I delete them, I delete them, and I don't feel anything about it. Um, whereas those habit trackers, those goal tracking things can get a little bit, for me at least, cause a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think about that way, even just with the native rings functionality, you know, it's like if I, you know, want to take a day off or if I, you know, am at 28 minutes of exercise instead of 30, it's like, can't we just, you know, I don't want to miss an achievement, you know, just because I missed that, that two minutes. Yeah, but that's gamification at its best. You should feel mm-hmm. like that. Mm. <laughs> don't, don't, don't you sit and do jumping jacks in the corner until midnight? Like, I <laughs> See, I got my um, my father an Apple Watch when he retired, and that's it. That's what he'll do. Sometimes it would be like he would just disappear for a little bit, and it's like 1130, and it's like, where is he? Where'd he go? But he's just like running around the block because he got that final notification from his Apple watch. you know, that one that's like, you can still do it, like close your exercise ring. So, you know, it is motivating. So, so there is a trick. I finally figured out a way to, um, cause I've, I made myself a deal, uh, when I got this last, last Apple watch that I will not have a day where I don't close all three rings. Um, and it's and it's easy. I don't think it's and I don't, I don't want you to feel bad, but I don't think it's that difficult <laughs> to, to close to mm-hmm. close three rings because standing up for for you know ten but ten minutes ten minutes every hour is is not difficult to do. Um, to do thirty minutes exercise, I, and, I, and I do have an issue with Apple Watch because sometimes I don't think it counts your exercise as exercise. Um, you should be able to find thirty minutes every day, and then your your movement one the red ring also you know naturally if you do exercise that other one just closes off and, and you'll find this with your row it'll be very easy to get 30 minutes in um but if you what i do is things like if i'm doing the housework which is normally my saturday that's normally two hours of like just sweeping vacuuming whatever um i measure that um as an open goal and and that that's how for, if there's days where i'm not going to do any fitness per se that gets me over the, that closes the ring really easily because I'm still doing activities, just not, you know, going for a run or whatever it is. Um, but your other option is if you ever close that two minutes thing, 
um, give yourself a do a an open open goal measurement. Um, just measure for two minutes. That'll close your rings. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Is I don't necessarily start the exercise, you know, the activity, so it might not count everything. Um, for me, I and this is a total tangent that we could go down a huge rabbit hole on, but the um, it's always the it's been the stand goal that's been the hardest for me because one, I don't find it super accurate. You know, if I'm cooking and I have my arms crooked, like I'm chopping things. I'm standing up, but it doesn't, you know, I could miss an hour, which is always so frustrating because you only need to get to that 12. But if you miss one and I also, I don't want to wear my watch all day. That's been a problem too. That's why I don't hit that stand goal. It's because I don't necessarily want to even wear it for 12 hours a day. So be nice. That's the one that drives me crazy because (laughs) it's, it's just the hardest to close. But I think oddly enough, working remotely, um, I think I would hit that a lot easier because sitting at work at my desk, you know, every time I'm stand, I stand up, I'm more conscious that I'm, I think leaving my workstation or it's like, I need a bigger excuse, you know, cause I'm going farther away and I have to at home to grab something. Um, so yeah, just observations. Uh, I, okay. So I think, I think that's going to be your, your challenge <laughs> is to wear your watch for a month and change your behaviors. Uh, yeah, I mean that's an it'd be a simple thing to do, though. So that's well, you. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's so so the, I mean, and, and this is not a dictatorship by any means, but the the, the reason why I've, I've I haven't moved away from the Apple Watch, and, and in fact I got to a point where I was going to go, I was going to leave Apple. I got so sick and tired of all the, I was really pissed off with um, iOS eleven, I think it was, iOS twelve. It was so buggy. Mm-hmm. And the way they had it just, it just really got to me. But the watch was just just that thing that kept me kept me close because of the fitness stuff, um, the activity, keeping yourself going. And it, and it does set the, the rest. You know, one of the problems that I have, which is very, I think sounds very similar to you, is that I will work these long bursts without taking breaks and then get up in my back sore, my neck sore, my whatever. Um, and, and having that little reminder to get up every every hour you know, if it's go for a walk or do some push-ups or whatever it is, go downstairs, get some coffee. Uh, it helps. Definitely helps. Yeah, it does. And, and, you know, I, I would definitely use those, those reminders as well for me. If I'm, if I'm in a real flow state, I just, I don't even feel my, you know, my wrist vibrate or whatever. I just, the notification completely passes me back. Well, which is fine. I mean, you can, you can turn up the haptics, but that's also, uh, I use a, um, a special clock. Um, what's it called? Let me see if I can find a name for it. It's by Yin, Yin Biot. It's a 60 minute clock and you basically turn a knob. Um, and when you turn the knob, it sets the timer. So I've set it for 30 minutes now, for example, and it'll count down back to zero and, and a zero to go off. So here it's, so I, so I use that or I use my watch. Whatever, if it's if I'm working it sort of early in the morning and everyone's sleeping, I use my watch. But that keeps me, you know, don't don't burn out because you can do a lot more twenty minute, twenty five minute sessions with a break than you can do two three hour marathons. And that's the whole Pomodoro technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm excited yeah. to try out some of these habit changes and automations. 
Cool. Sounds good. Alrighty. Well, thanks for catching up with me today, Heather. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.